All right, welcome to episode six of the Jesus Family Podcast. As always, your partners in crime, JT. Hey, guys. And Josh, uh, we are here. This episode, what we're going to do is we're going to have a discussion based off of the last episode, the last teaching episode. We want to get an interview episode in there as well. Uh, we've got a couple of them lined up, but they haven't happened yet. So we'll go back and backfill those later. Um, but if you did not watch episode five, which was the last episode, it was the second teaching episode. Let me give you a quick uh, overview, recap, and then you can go back and watch in your own time. What we want to do is just really discuss that, and JT's going to lead the discussion on that. So, the very first episode of season one was the first teaching episode, and that was just trying to build a case from Scripture why we think the Jesus family is important, why we even want to teach on this, and we're trying to make the case that we believe that today's version of church is broken. So we were just trying to set... Uh, set the stage and identify the problem. In this last episode, episode five, which was the second teaching episode, we try to give an overview of really, in a nutshell, what the answer is, and it's Acts 2.42. So we really try to just walk through that, um, and the three questions I answered was, you know, what are some of the barriers we're going to have to overcome as, uh, as we begin to study this? Uh, JT and I were talking just before we came on uh, you know, we hear other people teach on Acts 2.42. Uh, we've taught on Acts 2.42. And if we don't overcome some of these barriers that I talked about, uh, we're not going to really get everything we need to get out of uh, what we think Luke was talking about in Acts 2.42. So we talk about the barriers. And then we, I try to answer, why is it so important? Like, why is Acts 2.42 so important? Why not Acts 2.41? Why not Acts 3.42? Like, what is it about this verse? That makes it so important and then we finished up with um okay the verse is out there it's not like it's hidden it's not hidden behind a paywall where you have to you know pay us to tell you what like it it's out there it's acts 242 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and a prayer that's it so why is it worth going to all of this effort to talk about so i try to make a little bit of a case uh with that so that's Episode five, the second teaching episode in a nutshell. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to uh, JT and uh, kind of give, you know, your reaction, your thoughts. And then let's just kind of have a little, little bit of a back and forth discussion. Uh, you talked so much about perspective and the context. You talked about um, the way you looked at things early on and about uh, apologizing to your parents about what you did when you were a kid. Uh, one perspective thing I can remember is asking my dad for 20 bucks. Hey, let me borrow 20 bucks. Let me get 20 bucks. Like it was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. $20 is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I, I've noticed in life, if you say dollars, it's a lot. If I just say a hundred bucks, it's, it's a hundred, hundred bucks. Like it's no big deal. Yeah. Yeah. 20 bucks is no big deal. A hundred dollars. That sounds like a lot of money. If you call it a grand, you know, it's no big deal. Yeah, 20 grand, nothing. Yeah. $20,000, all of a sudden it gets real, right? It's all about perspective and wording. Yeah. Uh, you talked about uh, gay during the 20s, about how that was, you know, just happy and a, a state of feeling. And now it's something completely different. Yeah. Uh, perspective. You know, it's so important when you're reading scripture to grasp the intended audience perspective. Yeah. And who wrote it perspective to, they call it hermeneutics. It's a big church word for uh, where were they then? Yeah. And well, uh, go ahead. Well, let me jump on that. Cause it's not like 
you haven't taught on Acts 2.42 before, and I haven't taught on Acts 2.42 before, I think part of the impetus for both of us is exactly what you said, perspective, in that, I mean, when you're when you were mentioning that, it made me think of you know pastors, preachers like you and me used to say, well, "Hey guys, I've done the study. Let me tell you what it really means." But a lot of times, what I ended up doing is just what I'd been taught, what a seminary professor had taught me, what I heard at the latest conference, what at um, you know what the commentary said, what everyone else is expected it to believe. So, you know, I thought I thought I had the, a good perspective, um, but even that went to a whole new level during this past season. And that new, new perspective has changed my view on X242 so much that it's, I mean, it's new for me. And I've been studying scripture for decades now. And so that's, that was the aha moment, that new perspective that I believe uh, really is just, I just, I'm so excited about it. Like you're so excited about it. We just want to get it out there. And really the reason we're doing this long form podcasting is to try to make the case. Um, I, if you, Follow me on social. Um, you know, I'll uh, I, I put a lot of stuff on Facebook, and I'll try. You know, what I'm thinking, what I'm processing, and I'll put a couple sentences out there. And it's funny to read the comments because some people get it, and some people take one word and they completely go in a tangent that I wasn't even you know talking about that sort of stuff. And I think we do that with uh, with scripture. We hear something and then it triggers us, or it reminds us of something else, and we think we understand what X242 is. Um, it again, we were talking right before we went on air. Um, it took me months and months and months to really go to the level that I think I needed to go to to understand. Um, and so that's why we're starting this podcast. We can't just tweet it out like this perspective that you and I have been on a journey with together. Um, it's taken us months, and so it's going to take us months to try to tease it out and help others jump on. So, yeah, perspective just try to help people see things make the case to see things the way uh, that we see it and see if it convinces you like it convinced has convinced us. No doubt. And it, you were talking about how this isn't a hidden verse or a hidden gem or anything like that. Do you remember when the prayer of Jabez came Ooh, out? It was that is cult exactly. following. Oh, this is a verse. Nobody ever noticed the prayer that of is, Jabez. The greatest like prayer. Gold, and you can get, that's the gold standard. Oh, that you would bless me indeed and enlarge my tents and, you know, keep me from pain and evil. And, oh man. Yeah. But man, it's sold. That should have, that should have been a warning back in the nineties when all of like evangelical Christianity just flocked to it. But yeah, that's a verse I would argue was taken out of context. And uh, I mean, it wasn't even, it wasn't even a promise made to ancient Israel because we could have that conversation about, um, you know, old covenant versus new covenant. It was just a description of a, a prayer that a guy prayed. Um, yeah, yes, absolutely. That I think of Jabez all the time when I think of just one verse plucked out and and make it your own theology. And yeah. and it was people that thought, oh, this is a hidden verse nobody had ever really fleshed out or hashed out. Yeah, and and here it is, golden. And the Book of Acts is there. It's been there. Yeah. It's it, yeah. it's not like it's the, you know, something hidden under a rock or anything. It's been there. Yeah. Well, let me use the uh, football illustration, and I have to apologize. Most of my illustrations that come to mind are either going to be like sports or movies. Uh, a lot of times, 
football teams like to try to get these cutesy plays and come up with a play that, you know, that, that no one's ever seen before. Just like, you know, preachers love to find a brand new verse that no one's ever found before because they want to be original. Well, if no one ever has preached on it, there's probably a good reason why. Absolutely. Um, but with football, you know, winning a football game, you could try to do cutesy plays, but 99 times out of 100, just get bigger offensive linemen than their defensive linemen, win the, win the line of scrimmage, and just run the ball up their throats and have a good quarterback that can pass. Like, it, it's not super complicated. And I think we think that our version of, or what we understand Jesus is so, I don't even want to say it, but boring, because we've heard the stories. We get bored with it, and we want to go find something new. So Jabez is exciting, or some you know, random Old Testament prophecy that maybe it means something today. It's it's exciting. It's new. But I think it's the boring stuff that's the life-changing stuff. And the only reason it's boring is because we misunderstand it. We need better perspective on it. But yeah, it's it's not hiding in some obscure minor prophet right there in Acts. You know, Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts. That's, that's, all we, that's all we need when it comes to, you know, why the Jesus family is uh, the way that it is. I don't know about you, but I, I really get excited about a passage or a verse when I learn something kind of interesting new about it. Yeah. Maybe it's, you know, realizing what the water was like where Jesus was getting baptized or, or realizing uh, what um, John the Baptist wore, actually wore or ate or something yeah. that makes it real. Not so much, oh, this is an obscure prayer. Oh, this is a promise from God. No, just learning the life, learning the touch and feel. Um, I had this, I had this really cool professor that got his PhD in Jerusalem and it was a, it was a history class and we would talk about um, just geographical stuff. And he would talk about going down to Bethlehem after church to go to lunch, which is just mind blowing. You know, you, you, you what? And uh, he, he, he was talking about, uh, Jesus calling the uh, the Pharisees whitewashed sepulchers in front of uh, a huge graveyard. And, you know, you read over whitewashed sepulchers, and quite often I love to read in, you know, more King James Version just because it's, you know, yeah, it just makes tombs. my heart warm. Just do what? Whitewashed tombs. Whitewashed tombs. Yeah, <laughs> sorry, guys. It's not sepulchers. <laughs> do what? Yeah, whitewashed tombs for those who don't speak King James. Oh, my bad. Yes. So yeah, uh, whitewashed tombs, and he was calling them beautiful on the outside, but dead men on the inside. And it had never hit me that hard that he was looking at him and saying, "You're walking dead men." And you oh. know the the verse immediately after they get frustrated with him and start plotting to kill him. And I was like, you know, they just must have been mad at him. No, he called them something they didn't want to be called. Yeah. And. He was actually telling 100% the truth, dead men on the inside, but but polished up on the outside. And it was little things like that where he would say, yeah, it was right over there. And in the background, they could see exactly what he was talking about because it was right there. It made it real to me. And all of a sudden, um, you know, I got hungry for that particular passage or that particular story. Yep. And it just got me excited about things. But it, it's it's a little tweak in my in mine or your perspective that changes things. Yeah. Uh, I've always heard this about NASCAR. If you go to a NASCAR event, you're hooked. Well, all my friends would watch NASCAR on Sundays and you watch the, the start 
And then you take a nap and three hours later, mm. they're still taking a left. Yeah. And you're like, okay, I hadn't missed much. But they mm. say, if you go, your perspective changes and it's loud. And you, <laughs> the cars going by, they say it all changes if you go live. Yeah. And I, that's the case with anything. When it becomes yeah. alive and real, it changes. It completely changes. Uh, you know, you uh, tell me about perspective in your life when something changed. Uh, in particular, the Axe stuff. What what sparked the uh, Axe two forty two change for you? Was there something that you read that pushed you there, or was it just fleshing out life? No, that's a it's a good it's a great question, uh, and I don't even know you're going to ask that. I don't even know if I've told this story before. Like the whole genesis of it, I wish I could tell. It was a story of you know, me and a nice cup of coffee and a moleskin notebook, just, you know, contemplating night life and making an Instagram post or something. Uh, no, I was interviewing for a job. Um, I was in between churches and I was wanting to get back into traditional ministry because it's all I knew. And uh, I was interviewing with a particular church that I was excited about. And, you know, you, you go through all the questions, uh, just like the first interview, and you try to sound like you know what you're talking about, that sort of stuff. Um, and so one of the questions I asked was something to the effect of, oh, I, hey, if I, if things worked out and I became the pastor, what was, you know, what would be something in the first six months or the first 18 months that, that you would really want me to accomplish to be successful? It's like a standard interview question, you know, what does success look like, you know, for the first 12 months, blah, blah, blah. Um, and they said, well... It would be discipleship. We're really, really good at reaching people. We're just not that good at discipleship. And so we, we need help with discipleship, which is it's opposite for most churches. Most churches, like they hang their hats on discipleship. They're just not good at reaching people. So for this church, it was the opposite. Um, and they say, hey, we, we're fine getting people in the door. We're just not getting in a lot of depth in there. And so I said, okay. We had our next interview scheduled for like two weeks. I'm like, well, in two weeks, I'm going to uh, share, you know, uh, what I believe is, you know, a strong, solid plan for discipleship. At that time, I didn't have like a, <laughs> I didn't have anything. I just said, you know what? I got two weeks to figure it out, you know, because I didn't want to just go down to the Lifeway uh, back when you could go to the Lifeway and, um, you know, and just pick up a book and say, here's what you know, this group believes, or here's what this group believes, or here's what this author writes. Like, I, I wanted to, to actually do my own dirty work, because again, for the past 10 years, my work has been trying to get people in the door, because no one wanted to come to the churches, um, and so, you know, so actually discipling, it was a great new problem, so, you know, I'm just going to figure this out. I got a lot of time. I was interviewing, and I had some, some, some free time, so, of course, you go to Acts. That's where you go, um, and that's where you know, so I was reading through Acts and Acts 242 um, jumped out. That was the first time the whole, you know, Acts 241, 3000 people get saved. And then Acts 242 came right afterwards. And I, and I started reading those two in tandem and I started thinking, okay, Acts 242, I didn't think it was just a beautiful general description of life back then. I think it was the solution to the church's first problem, meaning how do you how do you um, solve or how do you disciple 3,000 brand new believers? And so I'm thinking, okay, that's it. X242. Now, my problem was, JT, and this is what kind of tripped me up and wrecked me 
absolutely wrecked me in the most beautiful way. I didn't stop there. Sometimes preachers, they get a verse and they get that first take and they're like, all right, I can run with it. I can preach with it. I got my three points. Let's go. I kept sitting with it because I wanted to make sure I didn't miss anything. And so I started doing word studies on apostles teaching, you know, and one of the things that I, I try to do is just, I try to, like, if there was one thing I would, you know, say I've, that, I, that's probably benefited me the most is, is not necessarily knowing all the right answers, but trying to ask better questions. And so like one of the first questions is like, okay, why did Luke write apostles teaching instead of, you know, uh, scripture or word or Bible, because that's a unique word. He doesn't actually use that phrase, those two words together anywhere else. Um, and then what about fellowship? I thought, again, I thought I knew what fellowship was till I actually looked up all the other references for fellowship. And then, you know, the whole thing of Acts 2, 43 through 47, which is the rest of that summary verse, you know, I, I think that's a, a replication of those four things put into practice. And then, so, so the longer I sat with it, the more I realized that how I was taught to teach scripture and how, and what the apostles teaching is, I don't necessarily think those are the exact same approaches. Fellowship. I think we've only got half the idea of fellowship. Um, you know, one of the biggest things is, you know, I always heard and even taught that, okay, hey, they met every day in the temple courts and then they met in um, their homes to eat. Large group worship, small group ministry. Hey, pass an offering plate. We're doing everything that they're doing. The longer I sat with it, the more of a realization, the more my perspective changed into thinking, I don't think we're doing it like they did it at all. I think our approach to how we teach Old Testament, New Testament, Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Covenant, New Covenant, rather than the apostles' teaching of the life of Jesus and just really focused on that. Um, so, I should, and so here's here's where I came out. Um, I'd only gotten a couple of weeks into it when I had the interview and I shared all the Acts 242 stuff with the church. And it was great. And then they ended up going with the other guy, which was fine. It was a blessing because the you know, uh, another month or two went by and I realized other things like the fact that you know, some of the very basic things that we take for granted of of how the church is supposed to operate. Worship services in paid buildings operated by paid staff. We don't see any of those. We see houses when they met together in the temple courts. I mean, okay, JT, you had a great illustration about, you know, Jesus and the whitewashed tombs. And there were some tombs right over there. Well, we think of they met together in the temple courts. I always thought they met. And actually, the Greek word is just they were together. Like, we, we have to insert that verb. We think together like Sunday services, everyone together every day. So maybe it was revival services because that's kind of when you go every day. They were standing and sitting and opening up their scriptures, and they were, you know, singing songs. No, no, no. But that's not the temple courts. The temple courts, it was like the Walmart, or it would be like saying, hey, we're all going to meet together in section five of of – you know, you're a Mississippi State fan, you know, of the, the football stadium on game day, you know. And so it's a great way to hide in plain sight, but it's not quite reverent at a football stadium on game day. They weren't having services. <laughs> yeah, it can be, depending on who's playing and who's losing. Um, no, but they weren't having services. 
I think they were lecturing. Again, if you wanted to have a clandestine meeting in plain sight, doing it in a crowd of people like a football stadium is actually a good place to do it. I think their church happened in the homes. Um, so anyways, the longer I sat with it, the more I changed my perspective and the more I realized, like, I think I finally know I've been searching for years of why the church is so broken and why churches can hurt people so much intentionally or unintentionally. And it just, it, everything kept driving back to Acts 2.42. So when you're talking about perspective, here's the danger. And I just want to give you a, a, a fair bit of warning. Like if you go to, to, to how far I've, I've, I feel like I've, I've gone in this journey. I, I can't see, I can't see traditional church in the same way anymore. Um, that doesn't make, make it right or wrong. I'm not trying to cast judgment. I'm just saying when, when my eyes are opened, I can't shut them again. So, I mean, that, that perspective started with the church interview and the church interview didn't work out. And in the end, that was probably the best thing because I would have stopped. I would have got my one little point, you know, from that verse and I would have, I would have missed everything else underneath it. Um, because, I hope, I hope that this is bigger than just, you know, one person trying to get a job at church. I hope this is something that helps anyone, anyone who's been hurt by the church, anyone looking for a new way to do church. I was just talking with another pastor today um, from the Birmingham area who's leaving traditional ministry to start house churches. Very, very similar to what we're looking at with Jesus families. And there's just, I think there's this, there's this discontent in a lot of people realizing like, Hey, what we're doing is just, it's not working anymore. We could kind of pretend that it was, but COVID just blew the lid off of all of it. And so people are searching and they're going to land in a lot of different spots, but I think we're on pretty solid ground with, with Acts 242. So, um, <laughs> so it's, that's a really long way to answer what's something where my perspective has changed. Cause I mean, this whole thing is, is, is born from a perspective that changed from scripture. Thanks so much for sharing that, Josh. That's, yeah. that's really cool. Um, it's, it's interesting how God places us at a particular time and place in our life. You look back and I mean, Acts 242 has wrecked both you and I over yeah. the last, well, you a couple of years, me, uh, six months and change, but it's just, um, you know, if you wouldn't have had that, uh, that particular job interview, if they wouldn't have asked that question by chance, by chance, by chance, yeah, God's not a by chance guy. He's a by design guy. And, uh, a lot of times and looking at churches now, um, a lot of times we have to allow God to work by design. And I'm not saying that this is a prescription or a description. I'm saying it may be both. I, I really feel like it's both. And it, it's something that um, churches and church leaders, it would be cool for them to grab that perspective and see how, you know, they've been holding God back or whatever they're doing. Um, let's talk about barriers for a moment. Yes. Um, barriers to understanding. Uh, tell me what... Uh, what a good, a big barrier for you always has been to understanding this. And, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say, I've, I've been taught by people who have been taught by people who have been taught. It's this one way. 
yeah. over and over and over, great, great grandfathered into one doctrine. Yeah. Whether it goes back to Josephus or whoever you want, that's what we've been taught. Yeah. And, you know, the guy that taught me may have been taught by a guy who wasn't paying attention or doing his homework. And, uh, you know, here we wake up 40 years later and say, oh, he got it wrong. Yeah. I need to find out what the truth is. It's, it's really cool about seasons in life, kind of like you and I were talking about how you wake up one day with a whole different fervor that just passion for whether it's one chapter, one verse, or it could be the whole Bible. All of a sudden you wake up and it's fresh and new and you're hungry. And I, I think we're fortunate to have those seasons in life where we're just like, I can't get enough of this. I got to have some more. Yeah. Over the last year, my wife um, has had kind of that uh, awakening and she has always had unbelievable discernment, which is great because I do not. I just show up. And she has been putting everything to the test, everything. Uh, she was a huge music person. She had a CD collection that was unrivaled. And now I would say, hey, who are you listening to? Oh, they're all crazy. I can't listen to them. Yeah. They all, they don't know what they're doing. I, I can't listen to them. Yeah. I'm like, well, what are you listening to? And she'll listen to like uh, 60s gospel or something off the wall. I'm just like, babe, whatever works for you. Yeah. But she, she has been so plugged into the idea that the world has twisted even Christian music, even Christian writers. I remember when you and I first uh, got together after you had moved back, I'd say, what are you reading now? And you say, I'm reading Acts. Because that's, that's one of my conversation starters to some of my friends who do ministry. Hey, yeah. what books are you reading now? And you're like, I'm reading none of them. I'm yeah. none of them. Yeah. And so, so tell me what you think about that. Is that, is that something yeah. that sounds familiar? Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some barriers. Uh, the three I mentioned are really three that I've had to overcome. Um, the first one I talked about is unintentional ignorance. You and I use this phrase all the time. Hey, they don't know what they don't know. Um, exactly. And that, that's two guys in middle age who are complaining about those younger guys, because when we were those younger guys, we were the guys who knew everything. Um, oh, absolutely. It, you know, you think you know something and then, you know, I, I've got, I've got three boys. One of them who shall remain nameless absolutely thinks he knows everything. And I, I can't tell him any different. And I just know the only way he's going to figure it out is by doing it himself and then failing. Um, I'm kind of the same way. So for me, I didn't know what I didn't know. Like you said, I was taught by someone who was taught by someone who was taught by someone who was taught by someone that this is how you always did it. So I didn't, I didn't know. Um, and the only way that I really experienced it, I mean, the only reason, the only way I can overcome that is experience. Like when life breaks you, um, you know, when the economy goes south or someone hands you divorce papers or you lose a job or, you know, sickness comes in, like you just, the stuff that you thought was important. Um, and it wasn't necessarily my fault, just like it's no one else's fault. If you don't know what you don't know, you just haven't experienced that yet. So I had a, I had theories and books and ideas of what scripture was because that's how I'd always been taught. But when that slams into the hard brick wall of reality, well, it makes you reassess. Um, and so if you've been broken or hurt by the church, then you know that, hey, there's something there. 
Um, but I've got a lot of friends who they haven't been, you know, they love it. They've got their little church and they love them and they love them. And they're like, Hey man, church is great. I don't know why you keep, you know, talking about church being broken. They just don't know what they don't know. It's not even necessarily their fault. Um, you know, one of the things that the second one I think I talked about was myopic motivations, meaning I'm an optimist by nature. And if we mean well, if we mean well, well, then we can't be doing it wrong um, because our heart's in the right place. Um, and I do love the church and I do love Christians. You know, and I, I made that my career for the first part of my life. And by and large, the people in the church, they're good people. They love Jesus. They really do. Like they, they mean what they say when they sing, about, you know, God and, and, and reaching the world and all that stuff. And so it's really, really hard to question if there's something wrong, if the motivations want to do right, but you can, you can have the right motivations and still be doing something wrong. Um, so for me, really, like you were talking about your wife, trying to discern past motivations to actually have an, uh, an objective look at, Hey, we might be meaning well, but that's not like, that's not working. Um, uh, like the, I've had some guys that come up, uh, out of nowhere, you know, that they're, that they're witnessing to me, you know, like you ever get the guys that come up and they hand you something and they're, they're so excited because they just witnessed to somebody, you know, and, and, you know, sometimes I'll say I'm a pastor. If, if I'm just in a bad mood or they're just being a jerk, I won't say it. Sometimes I'll even be the guy that starts asking, yeah, well, what about this? What about this? You know, <laughs> just to mess with them. And at, the end, and at the end, I'm thinking, you know, your motivation may be in the right place, but man, that did not come across the right way. Um, so that was a barrier. And then honestly, the one that was the toughest for me was the historical hubris, meaning that since we're newer, we must know better. Um, you know, I grew up in a very traditional Baptist world and, you know, the way I was taught was just how it was always done and the way it was always done wasn't working. So I kind of went to the other extreme. And I went to these big, amazing conferences with these huge mega church pastors and they had thousands of people. So they couldn't be wrong. And they were bestsellers. You know, what are you reading? Well, man, I was reading everything and I didn't want any theory that was five years old. I wanted something that just came out six months ago because I wanted the newest because I had this idea that the newest best must be the best. I mean, gosh, could you imagine someone still showing up to work with their iPhone 2? No, bro. We're on 14 now. I get with the program. Get it. So, you know, it's it's easy to say, hey, trust us. We're the experts. You know, we're seminary professors or we're Lifeway or we're megachurch pastors. So let us tell you how to interpret scripture. Um, and I had to go back and say, no, like I want to actually just read Acts. Um, and, <laughs> you know, I also completely understand the irony of now I'm the guy saying, trust me, this is what scripture says. Like, you know, like I'm just a, the next guy in line saying that, hey, uh, here's what it says. So, again, one of the reasons we want to do this long form podcast is we don't want to just tell you what the answers are. We're going to try to tell you how we solved it, why we think we needed to solve it in the first place and see if it convinces you like the way it convinced us. But for me, um, coming back to, you know, coming off of the big contemporary, hey, you just need better music, a, you know, a welcome kiosk and better kids ministry and, and you're good to go. 
Um, you know, there's been a, a big uh, slide against that. And so some people are going back, you know, some of the older generations, hey, we need to go back to the 50s and 60s, back when church was normal or church was familiar. I don't think they're going back far enough. Um, I was following some folks for a while who were saying, you know, we, we actually need to go back all the way to the early church fathers, to the church fathers like Augustine in the, uh, you know, fourth century, the desert fathers in the third and the fourth century. So what I would argue is like, hey, we're going to go back. Let's go back all the way. Acts 2, day one. Um, you know, and just like it's very hard for us to say maybe our grandparents actually knew more than us and actually they thought they, they actually had stuff figured out better than we have. Um, it, it's incredibly humbling to think that maybe the earliest church without Christian radio, without seminaries, without denominational structures without mission sending agencies, without any of that, without seminary trained pastors, without seminaries trained the pastors, you know, with, with that, maybe they actually did have it figured out. So um, that getting over that was probably the biggest barrier for me, especially since for the first 20 years of my career, my paycheck was tied to a very specific way of doing church, a way yeah. of doing church that did not allow for us to have some honest conversations about Acts 2, how it was originally practiced. Interesting. Uh, when you were talking about barriers, I was watching a podcast, when you were talking about barriers, uh, all I could think about was the barriers that came up in Acts 2. For Acts 2. Yep. It comes up in 242. What do we do now? What do we do with all these 3,000 people? Yep. Uh, you were talking about a church of 150 people. If 300 more people showed up, it's a big problem. Then you throw, you know, 3,000 people in there. It's just a mess. Yeah. And, um, you know, it, a problem comes up in uh, Acts 2.38 as well. Um, Peter just gets done talking. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said, Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what must we do? There's a barrier. What do we do now? Yeah. Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus the Messiah, for the forgiveness of your sins. It all comes back to Jesus. Every single time the disciples pointed it back to Jesus. Uh, hey, what do we do? Repent and be baptized. What do we do now? Uh, hang out with the apostles. Let's break some bread. Let's fellowship. And uh, let's read God's word the right way. Yeah. Let's do it the right way. And it all came back to Jesus every single time a barrier would come up. Hey, we got too many people. Don't you think churches are wishing they had that problem these days? Yeah. We got too many people. Yeah. Oh, golly. The good old days. Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, we've talked about how important it is and, and how it's, you know, different from everything. We've, we've gone on that ad nauseum already. Um, it, you talk about how the previous generation, we think they were just cute and working hard and this and that. And, you know, life was fine back then, you know, living in the dust bowl or whatever. Uh, I always think about World War II. You know, they call those people the greatest generation. Yes. Um, a good friend of my grandfather's parachuting in Normandy on D-Day. And uh, his name was Tom. And he volunteered at the D-Day Museum in New Orleans. And one day he called and asked me to come. He was going to give me a tour, 
just me and him. And so we started going through and he talked like it was that day. Hmm. He parachuted in Normandy. He um, was in the Battle of the Bulge. He went all the way to the Eagle's Nest. He saw it all. And um, we were walking through the museum and I looked down and his ring finger on his right hand was missing from here up. And I said, Tom, where's your finger? And he said, Baston. He said it, it had froze and I took my boot knife off and cut it off. Jesus. I said, wow, Tom. He goes, yep. He said, what was I going to do? And, you know, newer military guys lose guys and say, oh, you know, they were, they were fighting with this gun and they had to do it like this. And then we have drones and this and that, but the people were different. They, they had a different salt to them. And I'm not saying anything about the military guys these days, but that generation was, they were a different animal. They were completely different. And you talk about waking up and your, your life be wrecked. Um, I, I said, Tom, why did you, why did you join? And he said, Pearl Harbor, man, why wouldn't I join? Hmm. He said, also, I got $10 extra a month to be a parish, a paratrooper. I was like, <laughs> he was like, yeah, man, that's big money. $10 a month. Are you kidding? I'll Gosh. jump out of a plane for $10 better you than me, man. Yeah. yeah. But uh, they were different. And, and that even speaks to not just that generation, but this generation of, uh, of apostles, these, these first 11, these guys were different guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, you're Dr. Josh and I'm Dr. Pepper. We're, we're different guys, but not like those guys. They were, no. they were a special bunch. Yeah. Uh, so Josh, why should someone who's just turning tuning in for the first time want to study in depth this particular chapter and verse? Well, the main reason would be because I would I'm going to try to make the argument over the next several teaching episodes that I think that a those four practices apostles teaching uh, a couple of things apostles teaching fellowship breaking bread and prayer I think those are the four key elements of how the earliest church practiced their faith, how they discipled 3,000 new believers. Secondly, when you dive deeply into it, I don't think we're coming uh, close to I, any four of them, you know, that, yeah. that, that we're a little bit off base, off base enough that we need to stop and take, um, uh, take a, you know, some, some deeper examination. And then lastly, I think the same question that's driving you, same question that's driving me, that's driving so many of us. Like, if you love the church, if you love God's people, if you want to see the name of Jesus lifted high and people coming to faith, if you want to see prodigals come home and marriages restored and addictions broken, and I'm, I'm about to start preaching. If you want to see that, I mean, I think that's a that's a a, a yearning for all of us, and it's um, and the question has been asked and the answer is it's been all over the place where well, you need to use this translation of the bible or that translation of the bible or you need to have this size of a church or that size of a church you need to have multi-site or you need to have house church or you need to have this style of music and that's and uh, through experience i've tried almost all of them and we're still running and again covid is the great equalizer everyone everyone crashed and burned and so we're now looking for what and i think acts so to go back to what you said, it all comes back to Jesus. The answer is Jesus. 
But Acts 2.42 is probably the clearest description of how the earliest disciples, those who watched him die and then saw him three days later, how they practiced their faith. And if we had the humility to go back to that, and and again, how they practice it is actually not how we're practicing our faith or not how it wasn't how I was taught to practice my faith. And sometimes it, how I didn't even teach others to practice their faith at the beginning. If we can go back and really not just get, you know, uh, a Bible study in 140 characters or less so we can tweet it and move on with our day. But if we really can't sit with them long enough for our perspective to change, if we have the ears to hear, the eyes to see, um, I think that we'll, that it actually contains the answer to that question that's burning inside all of us. How can we see the church thrive? How can we see people come to Jesus? Not how can we see people come and refill pews so that we can get more money to, to pay for our way of doing church, but if we genuinely want to see people come to Christ, I think Acts 2.42 is a key because it records how the earliest church practiced their faith. So, I mean, if, if, if you're just a fan of the status quo or if you just want to go back to the way that things were, um, or if you've got a very specific set of ideas that's very narrow and you're not willing to have a conversation about any of it, well, then this is going to frustrate you, and you probably aren't even listening at this point. But if you're a genuine seeker of, of Jesus, of the truth, of, of, of her church, um, then I think hopefully that you'll be intrigued enough to at least explore a little bit further. Hey, these guys think they found something. Let me stay along with them long enough to see if they can make their case. I like it, man. I really like it. And, you know, so much of what we're sharing, we've battled with and are still chewing on every day. Uh, I haven't stayed in one book of the Bible for months and months and months in a long time just to digest and dissect. And I mean, because I I was like you, you know, read the Bible in a year, take a verse from the Old Testament, take a verse from the New Testament take a verse from here, there, read the maps, um, you know, memorize the context, all, all that, uh, you know, it was, it was just a, a hodgepodge and just to be able to sit down and to chew on this steak and eat and eat and eat and digest has been so filling. Yeah. Yeah. It's been life-changing. Absolutely. Well, Josh, you got anything else? No, man, I think we ran a little long, but hey, it's been a little while, so this is a special double episode. It's a double episode. Yeah, and then we're going to come back soon. We've got a couple interviews that we're lining up um, to talk with some folks who have been, uh, you know, get their perspective, a uh, street-level view of the Jesus family, and then we'll be coming back in a little while also with the JT special. He'll get to, to chart the course. I'll get to ask him some questions, and we'll have another great conversation. So, JT, great questions. Thank you for doing that. And as always, reach out to us, engage with us. Just if you're on this journey with us, uh, we've got a lot of folks who are just interested and they're kind of just circling. Uh, we've got several folks who are interested, who are intrigued and like, no, no, no. Like, I, I want to know I'm following everything. Um, and we've had a couple of folks who are even saying, all right, I'm ready for a Jesus family. So uh, we're, we're still organizing that. I'm actually out of state right now. So I haven't been able to get one started in my hometown. So if you haven't started one in yours yet, that's okay. Cause I'm a little behind myself <laughs> and I'm partly in charge of this thing. 
but uh, we, we want to actually, the end result is not just so that JT and I can have a little podcast, but is yeah. to organize families of people wanting to follow Jesus as close as we can to Acts 2. So if you're interested in any of that, reach out and let us know. Let's see what the uh, Spirit does. Cool. I love it. Can't wait for the next time. Yeah, man. Enjoy. Thanks for playing along, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Take care.